Welcome to Writers Forum. I'm your host, Mike Toos, and today I'll be interviewing author and activist Sandy Rosenthal about her book, Words Whispered in Water, Why the Levees Broke in Hurricane Katrina. Sandy was also the creator and organizer of levees.org. Welcome to the show, Sandy. Thank you so much for having me. Well, let's, let's jump right in. This topic seems unfortunately relevant today, a month or so after uh, Hurricane Ida. And let me see if I can get you to start by describing for folks that may not remember the narrative that was created in the immediate aftermath of Katrina by the media and certain local and national politicians about why we had the catastrophe we had. Sure, I'll be happy to talk about that. Right after this disaster, which, by the way, was not a disaster, the levee breach event in 2005 was a bona fide catastrophe. It is a disaster, the mother of all disasters, uh, in, in terms of number of people who died, in terms of the damage that was done, in terms of the length of recovery. But right after the levee breach event, those responsible for the event, the Army Corps of Engineers, refused to answer any questions until the levee studies were complete. You realize the free pass that gave them. Uh, they refused to answer questions from Congress, from the media. And this, this length of time was nine months before the first studies came out. Nine months in, in, the, in the world, in the public, uh, world of public opinion is an eternity. You can't keep the public's attention for five minutes, much less nine months. And so this was the environment. The Army Corps of Engineers didn't have to any didn't have to answer any questions. Meanwhile, the media, in search of a story, because people were engaged at this point, uh, would would print anything that they could find. Most of it false, much of it false, not all of it, but much of it false. Um, members of Congress just shooting off anything that they could think of. Um, I could give you some choice comments, and they're all in the book. But I'm sure many of your listeners remember the awful things that were said about the people of New Orleans. New Orleans should be paved over, um, the Speaker of the House said. Uh, and also during this time, um, the media and many members of Congress were also blaming not only the people of New Orleans, but a, a local elected officials for the flooding. So that was the environment. And I, I, I couldn't bear it. And that's what led to the, um, the founding of levees.org. Okay. And I, you know, I remember traveling shortly after Katrina and being a cabbie or two confronting me and saying, you know, why should we spend any money in New Orleans? This, this is your, 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 pe your people did this. And that's part of what you were dealing with, right? Yes. It was our, the local people's fault just for living here. And it was our elected officials' fault. Somehow or other, they were responsible for the levee breach event. How did, you, how did you come to believe, and when did you come to believe, that this narrative that somehow we had done something wrong or the levee board had done something wrong was not accurate? I came to believe it four weeks after the storm. You have to realize that uh, when I evacuated, I evacuated for three weeks. Um, most people evacuated for three days. Uh, my husband's an insurance agent. He said pack for three weeks, and he was right. So I had the was in a, a relatively comfortable bubble. Uh, my home didn't flood. My son's school didn't flood. And I used all my time, my post-traumatic stress, to read, to study, to listen to the radio, to get to read anything I could find. And it was four weeks after the storm. I realized that the Army Corps of Engineers is responsible for design and construction of our flood protection. Well, if, if, if they're responsible for design and construction, that means they're to blame. And that's when, it, that's when it became clear to me, and that's when I decided to found the group levies.org. 
And so it led you to define, to file, excuse me, to set up the group levies.org, and you set out a mission for that group. And in your own terms, and for people that may not remember, tell us exactly what the mission was. Sure. Uh, the mission of levy.org was education that the flooding of New Orleans was not due to Mother Nature, but rather it was due to engineering and construction mistakes on the part of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. And so did this require you, I don't know your background, other than what I read in your book, you had to get up to speed on some engineering issues, right? You'd be surprised. I'd love to tell everyone, all of you out there, it's actually better that I wasn't an engineer. Had I been an engineer at that time, uh, the, the Army Corps of Engineers could have shut my firm down. Or they could have threatened me with, um, the, 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 I'll never get work in this town. So you're better off not being an engineering expert. Fortunately, uh, I had help. I had help from um, very um, community-minded, good people uh, who stepped forward and helped me. Um, most importantly, number one on that list is H.J. Boswell, Jr., uh, who, uh, who guided me in learning about civil engineering. And let, let's talk a little bit about what you just alluded to, because it's in the book. One of the problems you ran into was that the Corps had so many contracts with different engineering firms, right, that these are folks that were not about to step forward and undermine the core's narrative. Exactly. And, and think about it. The, the levees had all broken in 52 different places. So the Army Corps of Engineers is the organization tasked by Congress and given $15 billion to go rebuild it. So there was this trough of work, this, this, this cornucopia of, of contracts that could be let out. And, and an engineer who, who turned that down uh, to speak out for the public good was hit in the pocketbook, to, to use a New England term, was hit in the wallet. And just so it's clear, somebody might be listening and say, oh, well, I don't know that the Corps would do something like that. You had actual experience of being harassed and your, your website being harassed, et cetera, and were able to trace that back to certain Corps employees, right? Yes, that was probably the most embarrassing moment for the Army Corps of Engineers since I started Levy.org. Keep in mind there were lots of embarrassing moments, but that was probably the, the, the queen of embarrassment. So using back-end tools available to any amateur blogger, I was able to trace vicious comments being left online, being spoken about me, on the local newspaper, the Times-Picayune, or the online version of the Times-Picayune, which is called NOLA.com. I believe it's still called NOLA.com. And they, by the way, this was 2006, 2007. The whole concept of online commenting was still the Wild West. You could say anything online, and it was allowed to stay there. Uh, the uh, the Time Picayune uh, and other uh, newspapers did not go online and censor them and take down, you know, calling me a liar, uh, calling me a, a, a child exploiter. You name it, I've been called it. And back then, all that stuff was allowed to stand. And I learned to, I learned to just pay no attention. I learned to consider it a sign that I was actually must be on the right track. So in this environment, I, again, I, I traced using back-end tools on my blog. I figured out it was actually the Army Corps of Engineers sitting at their computers, uh, viciously attacking me, my family, and anybody that supported levies.org. Well, I brought this to the attention of the newspaper, the Time-Picayune, and, and let them know about this and ask them, 
I, I went to their offices and said, look, I, I figured out where these comments are coming from. Will you give me a printout of the comments? I don't need to know who they are. I don't need to know the individual people. I would just like to get a handle on the scale on the magnitude of this problem, of these vicious commenting coming out of Army Corps of Engineers. And the Tan Picayune harassed me and shut me down and called me the bad, awful person just for asking for those comments. And I ended up bringing it to Congressman, uh, Congresswoman Senator Landrieu, who um, did a, a Pentagon investigation into this. Yeah, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the media as we go forward on that. Let's Before I get you to read an excerpt, let me ask one other question, again, to bring people back in time. So you come to the conclusion that this catastrophe is not the result of anything that the levy board did or the people of New Orleans did. And then you start digging into the engineering aspects. Can you, in, in the most simplified way that folks would understand, tell us what the Corps of Engineers did wrong in constructing the levees. I'm going to keep this easy on your listeners' ears. I'm not going to get into slope stability and factor of safety. I'm just going to tell it very simple because it's not that complex. In the case of the main basin of the city, that's the portion of the city with the most people, property, and infrastructure. That's where the Superdome is, okay? The reason those levees breached was because steel sheet pilings were driven into the, the the levees to depths that were too shallow. They should have been sent down 50 feet. They were sent down less than 16, one six. They should have been 5-0. And they, they fell over even before water got to the top. An egregious engineering mistake that Engineering 101 students could have caught. To the, in eastern New Orleans, levees broke over there more because of the case of construction error. The Army Corps of Engineers levees in many places were filled with, with sandy, erodible material instead of good, thick Louisiana clay. And then for the Lower Ninth Ward and St. Bernard Parish, uh, levees broke there mainly because of problems with the Mr. Go navigation channel, uh, which the Army Corps of Engineers uh, improperly maintained. But whether it's construction, design, um, it, it was in all cases, no matter where you look, the Army Corps of Engineers is the faulty party. And let me, again, let's take, take another step with that so it's clear to folks that are listening. It wasn't that the Corps was doing these things appropriately. They were actually ignoring engineering advice as to what to do. Am I understanding that correctly? The, back in the 1950s and 60s, the Army Corps of Engineers had something called peer review. Uh, they, would, they would design their, their projects, and then they would sh ship them out to completely independent uh, organizations or engineering firms to uh, take a second look, a second opinion, if you will. The Army Corps of Engineers, to save money, stopped doing that around the 1980s. And that's the main reason that these egregious, horrific, engineering mistakes never got caught. The Army Corps was not, did not intentionally flood New Orleans, but uh, they did through their mistakes. And I will point out, you know how some, the cover-up is worse than the crime? The main focus of my book is how the Army Corps of Engineers, not, not that they made that mistake, but that they spent millions and millions of taxpayer dollars trying to cover up that mistake. Correct. All right. And, you know, one of the other things that I learned, and I was here for Katrina, is I didn't realize the number of breaches we had in the levees. And you talk about that in the book at 52. How did you go about learning the exact number? 
Believe it or not, the Army Corps of Engineers created a map of the levee breaches, okay. uh, and that's why I know exactly where the breaches were. There were only, um, not all 52 were in New Orleans. About 26, 27 of them were in New Orleans, uh, and then the rest were in St. Bernard Parish. Okay. Can I get you to read uh, an excerpt from your book for everyone? And you can give whatever introduction you, uh, you feel appropriate. Uh, to, I would like to so. read the first chapter, okay. which, is, which is obviously short. Good. I think our listeners will enjoy that. Just before the eye passed east of New Orleans, a hurricane surge entered the 17th Street Canal, the largest drainage canal in the city. Flood walls groaned against the surge's weight, despite supporting steel sheet pilings anchored into thick earth earthen levees. The mighty 17th Street Canal could move nearly 10,000 cubic feet of water per second, enough to drain an Olympic-sized swimming pool every nine seconds. But on this particular Monday morning, August 29, 2005, something was wrong. A section of the flood wall atop the levee had begun to tilt. The steel pilings were too short, and water was flowing into the open gap. The entire section of the flood wall and the levee slid sideways, unleashing a furious blast of briny water into the nearby, mainly white, neighborhood of homeowners. Eighteen years earlier, the Army Corps of Engineers had decided that driving steel piling deeper than 16 feet was a waste of money. Originally, the design for the canal's proposed new flood walls had called for expensive steel sheet piling driven 46 feet into the ground, but the agency was behind schedule, costs were rising. In response, the Army Corps of Engineers conducted a large-scale test to find ways to save money on steel. Tragically, they missed a warning sign. During the test study, when the steel sheet pilings were subjected to a test water surge, they had tilted, but no one noticed the menacing tilt because the pilings were underneath a tarp. As a result, the engineers determined that they needed to drive the steel piling only 16 feet instead of 46. The Army Corps used this alternate engineering rule for new flood walls on the 17th Street Canal and several other canals across the city. That new rule saved the Army Corps of Engineers a total of $100 million. In 2000, the new flood walls were installed, but they were destined to fail. When they collapsed five years later, at a fraction of the water pressure they were designed to contain, hundreds died instantly and thousands more within months. New Orleans was devastated to the tune of well over $27 billion because flood walls were not correctly designed and built by the Army Corps. At 7.08 p.m., that the day the flood wall broke, the Army Corps went into a full-time damage control mode. Its spokesperson told big media outlets that the hurricane storm surge was just too great. Water had flowed over the 17th Street Canal's flood wall and caused it to collapse. Their story over the course of the next two years would be that nature caused the destruction of New Orleans, and New Orleanians themselves were responsible for their loss and suffering. Due to their own stupidity, they lived below sea level and sloth. The local levee officials were lazy. The Army Corps' primary mission had become rewriting history and duping the American people. They almost got away with it. That's excellent. Um, in the book, let's come back to this issue you raised earlier about the local media a little bit. You talk about the hostility that you experienced from the local media. Can you give us some examples of how that manifested itself? Sure, certainly. The um, My organization and our rallies and our our events that we did uh, were were big events. They were we our kickoff rally 
on the levee had 300 people in, in January of 2006 at a time there was hardly anybody in the city. Uh, media did not go to that event, especially the time Picayune. And then five years later, when my organization un unveiled a historic plaque at the breach of the site of the 17th Street Canal, there was national media galore, the Washington Post, the New York Times. Uh, um, there, were, there were 10 national me media cameras recording this event. The time Picayune only sent a cameraman who took one photo and did not even post it on the newspaper uh, until weeks later, and only did it online, and and didn't and didn't um, connect it and didn't feature it. And what that means is the only way you'd even know the picture was taken is if you went looking for it. Okay, so that's just two examples of how the media ignored, especially the Time Picayune, ignored the work of Levies.org, and they um, the reason they did not is because. The mandate at the time, Picayune, was to be soft on the Army Corps. That was the man that's what they were told. Why there was this agreement at the time, Picayune, to coddle the Corps, I don't know. But the burden shouldn't be up upon me. I don't know why, but they did. And that is documented and, dis and discussed in a lot more in my book. Yeah. Well, the narrative that you were attacking is a narrative that the Times, Picayune, and other local media were buying into. Is that a fair statement? That's absolutely correct. And in fact, and you point this out in the book, which is, is remarkable, that there were actually some times Picayune reporters who reported, wrote stories that were consistent with the narrative the Corps created, and they won Pulitzer Prizes for it, right? That's absolutely correct. And did they ever issue retractions or anything like that after you proved the... Uh, narrative was false? You know, that's a really good question. Uh, obviously, the, the, those narratives were false. We know that now. Even the Army Corps of Engineers has accepted responsibility. And, and act, personally, I have never asked for any of those winners to give their prizes back mm -hmm. or ask them to issue a retraction. But what I did ask for is for them to start peddling the new version as new information came out. And many of them, and their names are in my book, um, uh, clung to that original narrative, despite all the new information. I will give credit. There is one uh, reporter uh, who had a, also had a book out, uh, Path of Destruction. He did change his narrative. Uh, and, and also ref once referred to me as knowing more about the levees in New Orleans and the levee breach event than he does, and his name is Mark Schlefstein, and okay. I'm happy to give him a shout-out. Well, you know, one of the things you did in the book, again, I thought this was rather brilliant, was that to try to convince people around the country that this was not just a local New Orleans issue um, is you researched how many people around the country live in areas that are actually protected by the levees that the Corps built. Right. That was another one of the great finds. Uh, one of the, um, a colleague of mine passed me a document, and, uh, and this is a colleague I, I trust very much. Uh, he used to work with Ivor Van Heerden. And uh, this document said that 43% of the American population lives in counties protected by levees. I thought, well, that's really, really interesting. So I wanted to know, well, where are these levees? Um, and where are these counties, and how many people live in these counties? So I, I did a, f a request under the Freedom of Information Act to FEMA. Six months later, which is a long time, it shouldn't take that long, I got my answer, 
and the number had risen from 43% to a whopping 55%. And I was also given all the data on where all these people are living and how many people. And it, it's, it's to my, 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 I'm going from memory now, it's more than 12 million people. So, so uh, I fast forward, that was 2010. By the time 2020 rolled around, I realized that a new, the new census data was available. So again, I asked FEMA, I went back, I asked the exact same question, and the, and the, data, six, the, the data came back it's about six months later, about the same amount of time, and guess what? It's grown again. Uh, I, it's not in my book because I didn't have that information when my book went to print. Now the number's up to a whopping 62%. Wow. of the American population lived by levees. Why the number keeps growing, I, I don't believe it's because there were more levees. Uh, it's my understanding that the, the data keeping and record keeping has gotten much better, and we're finding out that more people than we thought were protected by levees. So yes, uh, the reason we made this, um, we promoted this fact heavily is because we didn't want flooding um, to, be, to be appear like a New Orleans issue. All right. Well, can I get you to read another excerpt from your book? You sure can. And again, if you need to do a little bit of a, an intro or whatever in it, go right ahead. Okay. This is um, this section is taken from approximately page two thirty mm -hmm. in the printed book. Not exactly. In reading the 2008 levy investigation report written by federal water experts Douglas Woolley and Leonard Chapman, I found some key information buried deep in this 333-page report that was absent from the executive summary. The first significant item I found was that the Army Corps had decided on its own to raise the walls of the 17th Street using sheet pilings. The Army Corps wasn't forced to do that, as they'd previously whined and complained. This is key. The report stated that the Army Corps recommended raising the walls for the 17th Street Canal, but recommended gates for the Orleans and London canals because gates were cheaper. Again, this defied this common law swirling all over the country, namely that the Orleans Levy Board pressured the Corps for the cheap option. The fact was the, the Orleans Levy Board wanted the more expensive option. And just like the 17th Street, they also believed it was the better option, obviously. Well, just like the Times-Picayune reporter Gordon Russell's drive-by levy inspections, the story of the Orleans Levy Board pressuring the Corps to build eyewall because they were cheaper was not only wrong, it was backward, exactly backward. As I always did when I found something important, I picked up the phone and called H.J. Bosworth. But I would soon discover something even more important in that paper. In the 1980s, having just been chided by the, the Government Accountability Office, the Army Corps was behind schedule and costs were rising. So in response, General Tom Sands with the Army Corps Mississippi Valley Division Headquarters ordered a large-scale test called the Sheet Pile Test in the Atchafalaya Basin, a region with soils just like New Orleans. Tragically, the Army Corps of Engineers misinterpreted the results of that study and wrongly concluded that when foundations were poor, sheet pile penetration depth to a certain point would not, significant. would not significantly increase eyewall stability. In other words, the Army Corps of Engineers determined it only needed to drive sheet piling down to depths of not more than 16 feet. Beyond that was a waste of money. In December 1987, division headquarters issued new criteria guidance on sheet piling design, and the phase-in of those new criteria was embraced because of the high potential for savings. Records show the switch, the switch to short sheet piles saved approximately 100 million. 
However, those cost savings would come 18 years later at the expense of engineering reliability. This is excruciatingly important. On August 29, 2005, the breach of the 17th Street Canal, combined with the other canals with the London, caused at least $27 billion damage combined in direct residential, commercial, and public property damage in the city's main basin. Put simply, the failure of the outcall the failure of the outfall canals was due directly to an egregious engineering error that the Army Corps had made in the 1980s in order to save money. This detail was not included in the Woolley Shabman's paper executive summary. This omission and the other omission that the Army Corps chose on its own to raise the walls of the 17th Street Canal were both news to me, and I was someone really familiar with the disaster and its causes. Although the Woolley Shabman paper itself was a good paper, the executive summary appeared to be edited by a third person who perhaps did not want these damaging details about the Army Corps being picked up by the press. The Woolley Shabman paper was released in July of 2007, and like, and like most everyone else at that time, I read only the executive summary. Without really reading that entire report, in May of 2011, I would not have discovered these details. The Army Corps' choice against building a gate at the 17th Street Canal and the wrong conclusion in the E99 study were extraordinarily important and omitted from the executive summary. John Barry and Ivor Van Heuden, both highly knowledgeable experts, were surprised when I brought these facts to their attention. All right, well, let's, we're about to run out of time, so let's bring this present if we can. Unfortunately, the city's just gone through Hurricane Ida, but what, and, and I think I know the answer to this, but what did we learn from Hurricane Ida uh, about the levees and about how they needed to be constructed? Um, the, the levee system that the Army Corps of Engineers built after 2005 was done with pretty much a an, uh, an bottomless, endless budget. They pretty much got all the money they wanted. That's the one good thing. But they had to build it very, very quickly. Um, the whole city was vulnerable. And they had to build the system very, very quickly. And so whenever you build something quickly, there's going to be mistakes. And one of their biggest errors was the maintenance bill. The maintenance to, to keep the system up and running and functional is a billion dollars a year. And guess who has to pay that? Us. We have to pay this. So, yes, we have a much better system. We also have a whopping bill every single year. This system should have been built when Hurricane Katrina's storm surge arrived 16 years ago. But, but if anything, we do have a gleaming system that does protect the people of New Orleans from storm surge. And let me just say on behalf of, I'm a native New Orleanian, thank you for that, because I think you are the reason we have that. Now, listen, that's all the time we have for today. This is Writer's Forum, and I'm your host, Mike Tusa. Today, I've been inter interviewing Sandy Rosenthal about her wonderful book, Words Whispered in Water, Why the Levees Broke in Hurricane Katrina. Thank you so much, Sandy. Thank you for having me. All right, folks, until next time. <laughs>